Your world, your challenges, your faith. When faith within engages the world without, there's power. It's living life from the inside out. We develop our worldview in childhood, but new research says that during those years, less than one in 10 parents are intentional about their children's spiritual development. Well, we're gonna talk about that today here on Family Life's Inside Out, where we look to how God transforms His people from the inside out. I'm Martha Manikas Foster, and my guest is Dr. George Barna, professor at Arizona Christian University and director of research at its Cultural Research Center. His years of research and writing have made him a household name. His newest book is titled, Raising Spiritual Champions. Dr. Barna, welcome to Inside Out. Thanks, Martha. I appreciate it. I am looking forward to having this conversation. Now, now, what I understand, Dr. Barna, for the first 13 years of our lives, we ask the big questions about what's true and where we fit into the scheme of things. And then for most of us, we spend the rest of our lives building on those answers, using what we've learned as the foundation for everything else. So your research finds that during those pivotal years, those 13 years, an overwhelming number of parents, even parents who believe in Jesus, are not sharing with their children the central role Christ plays in interpreting the world. So are parents unsure of how to pass along a biblical worldview, or do you find that a sizable number of parents, they've not developed their own biblical worldview? Yeah, it's a combination of things. I mean, as you allude to, a large proportion, a huge majority of parents do not have a biblical worldview. And of course, you can't give what you don't have. Mm-hmm. So that's one problem. You know, the second problem would be that for many parents, worldview development, being intentional about it, focusing on that is not a priority for them. They'd rather prioritize things like their children's academic achievements or athletic achievements or career aspirations. Those types of things are much more important to them. And then the other thing that we found in the research is that uh, most parents, even if they are Christians themselves, devoted Christians, they don't have a plan for how they intend to engage in the spiritual formation of their children. They just let it unfold on its own. It kind of happens by default, and that's a recipe for disaster. And do you think that we as parents think that that's what happened for us? I mean, do do we think as parents that this makes a lot of sense to just let it go without intention? Well, it's not something they're even worried about. They figure that they're going to do the best job they can as a parent. They love their kids. They want to do the best they can for them. And currently in America, the primary approach to parenting is what I've called outsourcing, Mm -hmm. where what we do is we look for the experts in the different areas that we actually care about. We hire those experts to work with our children. So maybe they get tutors for their education. They get coaches, private coaches for their athletic adventures. They get other kinds of leaders and teachers and experts to help them in different areas. And, and we believe that we're doing the best we can for our kids in the area. We do the same thing with spirituality. Mm-hmm. We figure, okay, I'll drop them off at church or I'll bring them to some kind of youth group or whatever it may be and let somebody who's a professional mm-hmm. in faith development do that work without realizing that doesn't work. So it's not specifically that they're dropping their kids off at youth group or they're thinking the Sunday school is going to do it. It's part of a whole pattern of outsourcing everything. 
Absolutely true. And, and they've got to keep in mind, look, our kids are getting 10 hours of media message exposure every day. And compare that to the maybe one hour a week they might get at a youth group, where most of that is devoted to games and crafts and mm-hmm. relationships. And none of that's bad, but mm-hmm. they're not getting much in terms of direct spiritual formation. And that's why it's so important for the parents to recognize that God gave them that primary responsibility. He gave them the children, and and the parents' job, their most important job in life, is to make sure those children become disciples of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So, so was there a time when parents were more effective in passing on a belief in you know the absolute truth of the Bible, or or could it have been that cultural Christianity, a cultural preference for Christianity in the past? made it easier for children to go in that direction without the parents doing more work than they're doing now. Yeah, I think there's a danger in romanticizing the past when it comes to America's faith, where we tend to look to the quote-unquote old days mm-hmm. and say, ah, oh, it was so much better mm-hmm. then. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there were a lot of spiritual problems, a lot of spiritual deficiencies 50, 80, 100, 200 years ago in America. Now, was there greater focus on spirituality? Yes. Mm -hmm. Did the family play a bigger role in that? Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, Was the church doing a better job of preparing and equipping parents for that job? Yes. So we definitely have seen a decline over the course of time, but it was uh, never perfect. It's always been far from perfect. Could we be doing a better job? Yes, we could. Mm-hmm. Today, the culture influences the church more than the church influences the culture. So we've got to turn that around. Let me take just a moment to reset for those just starting to listen, because I, I want to get back to that. If you are just joining us, you're listening to Inside Out on Family Life. I'm talking today with Dr. George Barna, professor and director of research at the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. Dr. Barna, What are the results of your research, what you're talking about in your newest book? What are the results of parents not making a point of nurturing their children's worldview? Well, in essence, everybody has a worldview. Mm -hmm. You need a worldview to get through the day. So the reality is, yes, a person's worldview starts developing in the 15 to 18 month window. It's fully developed by the age of 13 in most cases. And so it's during that 12-year formative stage that a worldview develops. So children are going to develop a worldview whether their parents are involved in it or not. That is a vacuum that has to be filled. Mm -hmm. And the way it gets filled is by kids trying to figure out how the world works, who they are, where they fit into the world, what kind of life they want, how they can make a difference. All the big questions of life, they start answering very young. And so as they go through that, a number of people, a number of institutions, a number of entities have influence on the thinking of children as they're developing that worldview. But because of the way it happens right now, it's really a a by-default process. And so children are exposed to many different worldviews. There's the biblical worldview, but more than that, they're exposed to worldviews like uh, secular humanism, postmodernism, mm-hmm. Eastern mysticism, Marxism, and so forth. And so every day, children are getting messages based on these different worldviews. And it's up to the child to make the choice mm-hmm. without their parents being there to help guide them. They're just doing the best they can to make sense of it all. Mm-hmm. And so they tend to take those elements of each different worldview 
that make them happy or that make sense to them or that solve a problem in the moment Mm -hmm. or that seem most popular. Those are the kinds of reasons they have as opposed to saying, but which one is true? Which one is right? That's not in the mentality of children during this time of their life. And so they wind up embracing a worldview that we call syncretism, Mm -hmm. which means it's no pure worldview of any type. All we're doing is picking and choosing elements from many different worldviews, putting them together into a customized blend that we believe serves us well, or at least it fits comfortably, and then that's the worldview that they move forward with. And the worldviews don't come at a child or at any of us with a label on them, right? So, no, of course not. so your yeah. teacher may say this and this and this, and she doesn't. You know, you don't have a little thought bubble out there that you see that says this is from nihilism or this is from whatever the worldview is. So, yes, it would be much easier to come up with this blending if you don't have someone intentionally guiding and helping you discuss it at the end of the day when you come home over supper or, or something like that. And to be honest, that's the biggest danger of all of the media consumption of our children, Mm -hmm. is every media vehicle that they're exposed to is conveying worldview messages, message after message after message during the course of a movie, a a television show, a streamed video, a song that they listen to, a book they read, a video game they play. All of these things and all the other media they're exposed to are conveying worldview messages. Our kids don't know it. Mm -hmm. They don't think about it that way. They think, oh, gee, I'm being entertained. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm learning something. Oh, I'm enjoying this. And yet at the same time, that 10 hours a day on average that children are absorbing media messages, they're being drilled with worldview concepts and philosophy, and they're going away embracing the ones that they like. And what makes it so insidious is that because parents are inconsistent in what they convey to their children related to worldview, and yet a media vehicle in its short span of time, the the 60-minute television program, the 90-minute movie, the three-minute song, the the 15 minutes they play a video game, they're getting a consistent body of messages. And to them, that's what sticks with them, is that consistency of thought that then seems to be reasonable Uh and seems to be something they can embrace. That's why arts and entertainment media have the greatest influence on the worldview development of Americans. We are so beholden to our media diet that it has that kind of lifelong influence upon us. Mm -hmm. So, Dr. Barna, what does it take to raise a disciple? How can parents raise children who will have confidence in applying God's Word to all of life so that they have a chance to thrive as disciples as all of these other worldviews are around them and, and eventually showing that they are inconsistent with what the Bible says? Yeah, it's a great question, Martha, and and it's really the key here, and I spend the middle four chapters of of Raising Spiritual Champions talking specifically about that. I think, based on our research, what we discovered is there are four things that parents need to do to be intentional disciple-makers with their children. You know, the first of those is to look at their identity, to recognize that God gave them these children to raise up to be disciples, and so they have to first of all recognize that as parents, they need to be disciple makers. Mm. Secondly, they need to be the parent. They need to be the adult in the room. They have to have, in essence, not only a commitment, but a plan to taking these children during those formative 12 years and doing everything they can to lead them down the right path. Now, how do you do that? That's the second part. 
and that's knowing what beliefs you want your children to be exposed to and to embrace. Why? Because we do what we believe. In mm-hmm. essence, your worldview is based on your beliefs that then gets translated into behavior. And the only way that you can be Christ-like is to think like Jesus so that you can live like Jesus. So mm-hmm. beliefs are the starting point in this intentional process. And in the, in the chapter on this, I talk about the seven cornerstones mm-hmm. of a biblical worldview, which are seven very simple biblical beliefs that are critically important to embrace as a foundation for how you can begin to develop that biblical worldview. Mm -hmm. But then the next chapter I talk about, but, you know, if you only have the beliefs, I mean, Satan understands all these things, but he's not a disciple of Jesus. So it's got to be more than beliefs. Yeah, it is. You have to convert those into behavior. That's where the rubber meets the road. Mm -hmm. And so for parents, the bottom line here is your kids are watching you. They're listening to you, Mm -hmm. and then they're watching you. And the reason why they don't follow you, what we learned in the research, is kids don't trust their parents anymore because their parents say one thing and do another. And so as kids are sitting there trying to figure out all these worldview issues, their philosophy of life, in essence, they come to the conclusion, look, my parents say one thing and do another, I guess they're as confused as I am. Uh So they must not have the answers. I've got to look for somebody or some group of people that has the answers. That's why they turn to the media, because it's always available and it's always consistent Mm -hmm. in ways that their parents are not. Mm. And so, you know, you want to get to your kids, model the beliefs that you're trying to teach them. When they see you live it out, then they're going to say, okay. I see it. It works. My parents believe it. That's good enough for me. I'm going to run with it. And then the final chapter in that section I talk about, but that's still not enough as a parent. You may try hard, but is it working? You don't know unless you measure it. So you've always got to self-evaluate. You get evaluated in every other aspect of your life. (laughs) When you go to work, you're evaluated. When you play on a ball team, they have your statistics. They're evaluating you. I mean, wherever it is that you are, you're being evaluated. Why is it that you think, as a parent, the single most important job you will ever do in your life, that there's no need to evaluate how you're doing? You've Mm -hmm. got to. And so in that chapter, I talk about what can you do to evaluate. You don't have to be like me and do surveys. (laughs) I mean, you know, discipleship is a relationship. Mm -hmm. And so you evaluate what's going on through that deepening, close, intimate, personal relationship that you have with your children. That's how you're going to be able to measure what's going on. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like there's a lot of time on our knees because we're not just praying about the direction of our children. We need to be praying about God's Holy Spirit transforming us to be the people who not only believe in theory, but believe in practice. Yeah, great point. My, My last chapter in the book is encouraging parents to think exactly as you're suggesting, to recognize that parenting is a vital battle in the spiritual war in which we live. And so as parents, you know, Paul talks about putting on God's spiritual armor. We need to understand what that armor is. We need to understand the nature of the battle. We need to understand that the devil works overtime trying to win over our kids, often through the media, Mm. in order to distort and destroy their lives. And so 
we, we have to be aware of the nature of that battle if we're going to fight it well. Mm, wise words. Thank you. Thank you so very much for your work in general, Dr. Barna, and thank you for joining me here today on Inside Out. Thank you, Martha. My guest has been professor and researcher Dr. George Barna, whose newest book is titled Raising Spiritual Champions. Learn more about the work of the Cultural Research Center by going to arizonachristian.edu. That's arizonachristian, altogether, .edu. I'm Martha Manikas Foster with Inside Out on Family Life. Thank you for plugging into this Family Life News podcast, streaming issues-driven, family-focused news.